0: welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, we don't usually record from a construction zone, but you might hear some noises in the background. That's totally not normal, but uh, we're just going to try and push through. And if you are listening for the first time, this is obviously the No Breaking Podcast where we try to talk to a different person or different persons every week about their foray into the industry or just about a topic in general. In this time, I should say, we've got a wonderful commercial photographer who's making a splurge into the directing scene uh alex bernstein alex how are you i'm good thank you firstly for obviously finding time in your schedule between snowboarding which is obviously a little bit out of season now i'm guessing (laughs) a little bit um and uh, navigating the dangers of the underground garage that you have to get inside of with your super low vehicle. Yes. Uh, yeah, no No problem at all. It was, it was easy. But, um, Alex, <laughs> so tell us, how did you start this uh, like venture into where you are now in the, the scouring Craigslist daily for unusual cars?
1: Um, man. So, you want to start at cars? Has yeah. Interest? Let's do that.
0: Let's do cars, and then if we branch out into anything else, okay. so we can branch out of that.
1: Um Cars, I think, really, really it started when we would go visit my grandparents. I'm from New York. Okay. I would go visit my grandparents in Florida, Mm -hmm. and there was just a really crappy go-karting place nearby, and I think my dad took me there once, and that's all I wanted to do every single trip.
0: Was just go? Just go to the go-karting place. So, when you go to the go-karting place, how did you quickly... Guess which was obviously the fastest go-kart on the track.
1: I started asking. You did? Um, yeah, I was like, just can you guys give me the faster one? Because I realized I was not using the brakes, like, ever. And I think, you know, a couple of the guys when I was younger were like, well, he's, he's like, faster than, than all of us. Um, but I could be embellishing my own, like, childhood, sweet, fairytale memory. Um, but I just remember, seriously, like, always loving the noise mm-hmm. and the, the smell. smell. All of yeah. it. And it was all, like, these are things I just always remember um and then i think as my life continued there was always this this element um and then even my my mom is a she's a casting director in new york Mm -hmm. um a client and close friend of hers michael schramm used to race for porsche on uh for racers edge um like big team and he invited us out to lime rock once which is a lovely place lovely lovely place have you driven it no i've not driven it Lime Rock is, I mean, it's just like a big boy go-kart track. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And it's nice and green. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. Connecticut's great. That track will tire you out. But um, we, we went up there, and I must have been like, I want to say 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I'm just seeing like all these 911s and race cars, and we hung out all day through the rain, just like the coolest day. And I think really from that point on, whether I recalled these moments, you know, in my adolescence at all, I just... I just, like, I just wanted to work on cars and make things fast. Um, and then I think I was in, like, I want to say sixth grade. And my folks had asked me what I wanted for my birthday. Um, I think eBay was really, like, coming around. Yeah. And I was figuring things out. And I'm, like, I found uh, a GoPed, which was called the California GoPed, mm-hmm. um, still in New York. And it had no motor. Um, or they said it had damage or something. This thing was, like, listed for $35.
0: And you were like, I was like, this is what I want. <laughs> so
1: So they're like, you really want this thirty-five dollar broken motorized scooter? And I was like, yes, please.
0: There's nothing else I want more yeah. in life
1: than this. So I think I remember going to the lawnmower shop and asking the guys like how to fix this motor. And once I got that thing running, I seriously it was like instant freedom. Mm-hmm. I would just go all over my town. I'd pull my friends on skateboards and bicycles, and I would I'd be like in charge of having just that powered freedom mm-hmm. um and not that i didn't like riding my bike but i just seriously loved ripping around uh and then i progressively figured out how to make that thing faster and made it really loud and obnoxious and that Which was is when they sound best honest. Yeah. and that was really the start i mean once i had that all i wanted to do was eventually get a car and, and start driving
0: okay and then what about in regards to like through your schooling and whatnot when did you decide to, that you wanted to be going down this idea of the photographic realm of sorts
1: so school for me wasn't great um i wasn't a very good student i definitely have trouble focusing on stuff and i hate i just hated reading textbooks mm-hmm. um i can understand that and numbers seriously just like give me anxiety like mm-hmm. i'm just math is not a thing and it's not just that i'm not interested in it i, I seriously just i'm awful at math but um it took me a really long time I actually had to drop out of college for a semester in order to realize what it is that I was maybe good at or what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But seriously, up until that point, I had no idea what I was going to do. I wanted to do a million things. I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau and study marine biology. I was going to say you wanted to
0: become French.
1: Um, I wanted to... I wanted to do psychology, science, everything. Like I just had all these interests, but no focus.
0: Okay. It would have been good if you could have combined those two together—the psychology of fish, <laughs> deep sea fish—and just combine the two, being like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Get really into building fast submarines. Yeah. Um Submersibles. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I had no no idea, um, but I knew, and honestly, I I just, you know, I think as you get older, you just appreciate your parents more and more. Yep. Um, Because we're all assholes at some point. Yeah, not the best. You know, I wanted to be a mechanic. I wanted to go to UTI Mm -hmm. uh, because I saw a commercial for it. And I was like, what? They just line you up with like a BMW dealer and you're just working on? That's cool. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, in high school I interned for my senior project. I interned at an automotive shop called T-Roll Sport. Mm -hmm. Um, And for my project, I threw a giant turbo on my Volkswagen (laughs) GTI and my motor racing a notchback Mustang by Ocean Parkway, but um, I obviously you're just <laughs> racing to the speed limit. Yes, of course, 100, 100. And you know when my dad asked me what happened at two in the morning by the beach, I just said I changed lanes to pass someone, <laughs> and uh the third cylinder rod just oh it just happened right through. The it block. does. I mean
0: you were just going 34 miles an hour as you overtook them, uh, and it was head to 35, yep. which is the speed limit, and then I just went. That was it. Done. Just needed a tow. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I just always was finding a way to to introduce cars, but I don't think I ever thought about it. You know, from the outside, of how do I really turn that into my business and my career? Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't seem something feasible to me. The only logical thing to me was I could be a mechanic. Yeah, but I realized that was a hobby, and the second I started doing it for work. First off, I wasn't a very good mechanic. Mm-hmm. Second, it wasn't that fun to work on other people's cars. Yeah, when you don't get to drive them home. So, especially um, the nice cars as well. Yeah, got a I lot mean, of anxiety, a little, little bit of jealousy there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my parents were basically like, "Look, you know, go to college. I was accepted to University of Hartford. Mm-hmm. Um, go to college for a year or two, and if I am really, really miserable and not loving it." and it's just not for me, then sure, I can figure out how to go to UTI or go be a mechanic and that's it. Yeah. So that was their only rule. Um, I went, I had multiple majors, uh, and eventually I'm like, I need a break from here. And during that break, I had five wisdom teeth removed, one more than usual. Mm-hmm. Um and my dad came home and I'm just hopefully uh, uh, like
0: a, a, a dentist or someone helped with that it just wasn't yourself with a pair of pliers yeah no bad. I was really into my own self yeah. mechanic <laughs> yeah. so I got
1: a pair of vice grips and just give um, it the old
0: tug and that's why it was five instead of yeah, four right TB blaster like, no, just, yeah. right in
1: the jaw so um, he had brought home this magazine Zero to Sixty which I had never seen and the cover of the magazine was mm-hmm. one of the coolest covers um, and at that time I think probably the coolest magazine cover I'd ever seen uh, it was a white lamborghini murcielago on the streets of dubai Mm -hmm. and i was like what the what is this Mm -hmm. like this is this is sick um so i'm just like full of painkillers and feeling terrible and my whole neck is black and blue Mm -hmm. and i'm scrolling and i see the editor's page and it's brian scotto leaning on like a 911 and i'm like i know that guy because brian was super into volkswagens and audis Mm -hmm. uh also like in the Tri-State, like New York, Long Island area. Um, And so was I, but we were just years apart. And my friends and I had our own little Volkswagen club. He had his, like, Volkswagen Audi club. And I'm like, I'm going to send this guy a note. So I sent him a note, and I pretty much realized at this point the only thing I wanted to do was take pictures and write about cars. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sent him a note, and I interned. He gave me an internship um, and I was taking the train from Connecticut to New York to intern at this magazine. Um, and would
0: that that I'm guessing that would have been after Ron, who was a guest. The podcast was there, or was that a crossover?
1: Ron, Ron had started a little bit before. That's me. What I was going to say I, I, I don't know if it was a year or a couple months, but yeah, it started a little bit before me. Um, and similarly, like we just were both obsessed with cars in the area, um, and it just worked out.
0: So I know I remember from his episode on the podcast, he talked about his first time where he was given the the Audi.
1: Yeah, oh the R eight. Yeah, yeah, and he like took it on a ferry or something.
0: Uh, I don't know, it's whatever he did. But then, what were, can you remember? What your first car was that they gave you when you made like, the switch there? Oh man,
1: I'm it's got to like turn back the clock now. I know. I'm I'm trying to remember. I want to say. I might be wrong, but I want to say it was a six carbon, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was just the worst idea. Um, but that, I mean, still to this day, that's just another memory for me like that. C6, Z06 carbon, um, which was like carbon ceramic brakes, only came in this like dark gray, some mm-hmm. like carbon fiber stuff, a little lighter, not the ZR1, um, coolest car, so violent. Yeah. And I just remember going Ocean Parkway and doing like 170 miles an hour.
0: <laughs> on a private road. On a, on a closed road, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: Supervised totally a well-behaved yeah. young new employee to yeah run, first thing he did right yeah. mm-hmm.
0: so as always with let, so let's take the step back then so you, you wrote to brian sorry before we got
1: carried away and yeah. brian i'm guessing wrote back to you maybe brian wrote back to me and said hey yeah that's awesome of course i remember you uh why don't you come in and meet some of the guys and we'll see basically an interview yeah um so at this time and i'm like i'm sure i'm off by some dates. But at this time, I really began to realize with the help of my folks again that I would—I had always been really good at writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and photography to me was not something I ever really thought about other than I went to car shows with my friends, snap photos, and I think I enjoyed it. And I looked back at those photos and there were some weird angles, but overall I, I had some of my natural eye in there. Um, yeah. So I kind of pushed my way into the art school at Hartford and asked them if I could start taking photography classes. They had a really prestigious art school. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically said, you're a communications student. Like, this isn't how that works. Mm-hmm. So they're like, do you have a portfolio? And I said, I have a photo bucket account and a small Canon digital elf. Um, they said, let's see your work. And they all kind of agreed after just me being a squeaky wheel that, okay, we think you have kind of a nice natural eye and maybe there's something here for you. We're willing to make an exception. You can take, you know, intro to photography. And if you get an A and a recommendation from the dean of this part of the school, um, you can take classes at your leisure. Yeah. So I weirdly became kind of a double major in photography and journalism Mm -hmm. after many years of figuring that out. Yeah. Um, And by the time I approached Brian, I said, this is my focus. This is what I want to do. I'm seriously uh, schooling myself on how to be the perfect you know asset to to a magazine mm-hmm. um because the thing is is that most people were either shooting or they were writing yeah so i if really you can do both
0: of them yeah i mean you're going to, need to pay one person to send them out there instead of two right that was my thought yeah but
1: it wasn't met with
0: that open arms. <laughs> yeah um it it's took funny. some time
1: yeah it's funny how people think when you think it's a great idea and it yeah was like, no, different teams different, different budgets yeah no one does that you know yeah um be crazy. So, I remember, you know, this interview I I went to New York and I mean, I was super nervous. I had only worked obviously everyone's uh, yeah, always interview. I had interned for like the Hartford newspaper and wrote about a wine store. It was not like, you know, this was this felt like something could be crazy here. Um and of course, I'm I'm like, man, what do I wear? You know, I'm I just always wear jeans and a t-shirt. Mhm. So I, like, I remember I went to go, like, buy these shoes and, like, I had bought nicer pants and I wore a button-up. And I went in and, you know, Brian, uh, Tony Harmer, and Matt DiCillo come in all in jeans and, jeans and T-shirts and, t-shirts and sneakers. And, yeah. <laughs> and I felt like the biggest jackass. And I think later on the interview, they're like, also, you don't have to wear that here. I'm like, oh, man, thank you so much. I can't wait to return all of this. <laughs> like. I just, I was so uh, happy to know that I could just be me. Yep. Um, So I landed the internship and kind of commuted back and forth to New York occasionally while I was still finishing up school in Connecticut. Okay. Um, And really, I ended up interning with Tony Harmer, who is now one of my closest, closest friends, who was the staff photographer, Mm -hmm. handling photography for Rides magazine, Zero to 60, and a magazine called Antenna. So I interned with Tony, learning more ropes about photography, and I'm seeing these press cars come in and hearing about these trips. And after I graduated college, they said there still was no position there for me. I just had to stay on as, as like, a part-time assistant. Mm -hmm. Um, So while I'm assisting Tony, it it turns out, you know, uh, an editorial position opens up, but I'm on the photo side. Yeah. So basically, you know, Brian and Matt and the guys said to me, You can be an editorial assistant, like we know you have a journalism major, and you know you can you can write, but that means you are not going to be shooting. Um, But we can offer you a full time position. So I said, okay, I am in. So I quit my my other part time job at Best Buy, (laughs) Uh, and uh, I went in. And you know, Tony had some hard feelings. Where were you working in Best Buy? What section? Uh, Magnolia Home Theater. Oh, okay. Really, the tippy top. Yeah, (laughs) that's like I got to wear a different stuff. stuff No blue shirt for me. Yeah, it was the burgundy. It um, in the interior, right? I just had to wear like, but no, no. The nice store that
0: when you had to go through those, like the doors would open. I was yeah, like, yeah. Ooh, it's fancy and It you know. was, yeah. It
1: was a different experience. Mm-hmm. Magnolia, it's, yeah.
0: Um, so chic,
1: yeah. And you know they they really tried to get me not to go back to college. Uh, They're like, look, you know, you could be here making fifty grand, <laughs> and don't even worry about school. You'll be a manager in no time. Mm-hmm. I thought about it, um, but I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to not ever go back there. Yeah. So. So yeah, I was on as as editorial assistant and learning the ropes and fact checking stories and um huge, huge libraries of the most hideous wheels you could imagine and mm-hmm. rides. Um because and really there is a lot of hideous wheels um, out there. Only mostly hideous <laughs> wheels.
0: A majority have hideous wheels.
1: Yeah, they're insane. I mean, the stuff we we covered in there was a lot of fun though. Yeah. I can um imagine. But yeah, started started at the bottom there, and I still, you know, despite everything, um, all I wanted to do was be able to do both still. I didn't want to, like, give up on, on photography, and I didn't want to give up on writing, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to make sure I always got to drive the press cars, you know. Which is the important thing. Yeah, because the, the, the photographer usually doesn't just get handed the keys. Usually you're outside snapping photos, mm-hmm. or, you know, you're secondary to that. So I really wanted to have my cake and eat it, too, and no one wanted me to do this. Um, But But
0: you were persistent.
1: I was pretty persistent and a situation came about where I was like, this is it. So um, Rawwell was not like widely known, you know, all the crazy 911's Mm -hmm. um, coming from Japan. And we had kind of facilitated an inn over there And they basically wanted us to come out and, you know, we could shoot their shop and finally like get a vision into their world Mm -hmm. and no one in the U.S. was talking about them. No U.S. publication had done anything with it, Um, but clearly, you know, budgets were were coming down and I realized with Tony, who really had my back in this, that um, we could only afford to send one person. Yeah. So, who better to send than the person who could do both, yeah, you know,
0: so, and that just happened to be you,
1: right? That was just me there and, you go, you know we we begged Matt,, um, who was the managing editor at that time, and I really didn't think it was going to happen, mm-hmm. also, I don't think I fully thought about what it would be like if if I actually went i yeah. just I was pretty infatuated by the idea of just accomplishing this. Mm-hmm. But didn't you didn't know how about, many yeah. Stella
0: Artois or how many cigarettes you'd have to smoke. It and, would have been <laughs> and do it through the whole thing.
1: <laughs> exactly. It was pressure put on you when you found the ticket. <laughs> so, so basically, we left. Maybe it was a Monday, and we left the office in New York. And Matt was like, "You know what, man? I got to figure this out. I don't know if it's going to happen, but keep your phone on, and I'll call you in the morning." And I said, "Okay." Um, so I get a phone call at like 7 a.m. and Matt's like. Okay, man, what do you need from the rental gear house? You know, uh, for camera equipment, your flight leaves at one o'clock from JFK <laughs> to Tokyo. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Am I really doing this? And I think I was still living home at the time. My parents were like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to Japan um, by myself. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going. So thankfully, you had a passport, then I'm guessing. I had the passport. Which is important in this yeah. scenario. Yeah. Um, I had the passport because on my leave from college i ran away to a few different places well there you go so 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 i was ready to go Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i couldn't believe i was on this flight i had no idea what kind of camera gear i needed because i just took very basic photos with minimal gear mm -hmm. um i brought my canon 5d i think a lens and like a 580 flash a really small like flash it doesn't really do a lot and a tripod um By pure coincidence, Tony ended up going to Japan for Antenna Magazine to cover Nigel Sylvester, a really cool uh, BMX rider. Um, And we ended up sharing a room. So that all worked out. And Uh, then he borrowed old Tony's gear to take the photos. And then Tony ended up coming out with me on this crazy adventure where, uh, only at night, you know, I went to go see Nikai's shop and I navigated my way on the trains and ate sushi for breakfast, Mm -hmm. which made me want to vomit. And... I didn't want to be disrespectful, but the tuna there was just huge by <laughs> comparison to like I thought I liked sushi at this point, and I think I was adventurous. But uh, I remember it was pouring rain, and these guys picked me up in a Mercedes, and they're like, "Let's go eat." And we're you in don't this want to restaurant? Say no, obviously. no, of course. And I have no idea what time it is. I like literally just got to Japan. I've mm-hmm. been traveling forever. Uh, it started raining, and I left my camera in the car. And I'm like, I'm gonna go get the camera so I can, like, you know, document these things as I probably should be doing. And by the time I come back, my plate is just there's just so much food, and I'm like, How oh, because oh, they're obviously
0: very kind, the Japanese people,
1: yeah, and they just want to make sure you don't miss out. It was a lot, man. And I just remember this huge piece of fish, and I'm like, do we eat? Okay, no chopsticks, got that. All right, eat this with the hands. And just was it a one bite thing? Do you take multiple? And I see Nikai just take this whole thing and put it in his mouth. And I'm like, I'm doing that. <laughs> so it's in there. And I'm just like chewing. And, and I'm, I'm like, like oh, f- man. When I, is this going to go away? I can't. How do I swallow? And I'm like chugging water. Like, it was a good time. But um, crazy experience going to his shop, which is like next to a rice field. Mm-hmm. Uh, super overwhelming. And he was just the coolest dude. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't find anyone cooler. Just everything about him was awesome. Um, but I was like, look. It's very cool to see your shop, but I want to see these cars on the road. You know, how do we do this? And they ended up organizing this thing at night where Tony and I were picked up by a guy in a suit Mm -hmm. who showed up in, like, some Toyota SUV. Um, We got in his car, and we have no idea what's going on. No one's speaking English to us. Um, We both have our cameras. Think we're going through like the tokyo tunnel it's like a covert military operation they've got going on we just i was like where are we being taken mm-hmm. and the windows cracked and you just hear the most violent like red line backfire just flat six noise and i look behind me and it's the the stella car and like this kind of um it was like a flat eggplant uh 993 mm-hmm. turbo which was insanity and these two cars are just flying through the tunnel like I swear they blew by us at like 150 it Mm -hmm. was it was wild um and we just ended up shooting them running around Tokyo for like hours and it was the best I mean seriously like I think I don't really totally remember what my very first press car was but I had been working on staff for like three months thinking that I would have to just choose one or the other uh and then being given this opportunity and finding myself one what felt like another planet mm-hmm. shooting the craziest cars and having to write about it and absorb all of this um it was like the number one coolest experience and even still to this day like i just that was the best thing ever look i mean i've had korean barbecue <laughs> I and mean, that was pretty
0: cool but no, i didn't get to go to a shop or let alone drive to the street yeah. following him to tokyo and I,
1: it was awesome so um i just was forever like hooked and i that just that was it for me Um, so getting to shoot that and shoot a huge feature and write it, uh, was it. And then I think everyone kind of on staff trusted me a little more to, to handle both as, as it came, still very much writing, but, um, over the years, you know, Brian went to go work with Ken, I think Matt went then Ron went and... We just all kept getting promotions and publishing, you know, and publications were just getting less and less money. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it just kind of ended up with myself and my buddy, Mike Crenshaw, both running Rides Magazine. Uh, zero to 60 had folded, which was heartbreaking for all of us, and somehow I was now the senior editor of a magazine at like, <laughs> I think I was like 26 years old with an office, like a, a window office with a door, sitting with Mike, like overlooking 25th and Broadway. So, um, it was cool, but I think, you know, there was, I wasn't very challenged anymore, and I knew I wasn't shooting that much, and I wasn't driving. No, you're not yeah. yeah. Um, and we had a lot of fun, but I was like, I need to do something new. So, at that point, I just got a call from Greg Emerson out of nowhere, who I didn't really know, and he said, hey, bud, uh, <laughs> I'm the senior, I'm the editor-in-chief of European Car Magazine. We really want to revamp this thing. Are you interested? I'm like, oh, where are you guys? Oh, we're in California, in Los Angeles. I was like, no way. Um, and I just... <laughs> seriously, two weeks' notice. I just left. Uh, I what sold.
0: month would, would that have been? I think it was like May. Okay. Yeah. Um, so not a bad time to be in New York, at least, though. I mean, no, if it would have been it was, like in like it December, awesome. you would have been like... Two, not two weeks. <laughs> two hours. Done. Yeah, Yeah. Um,
1: it was a big jump. I mean... Well, it is I a big had... One uh, coast from the East Coast to the West yeah. Coast. I mean, it's a big difference. I had no idea what I was really getting into, and I, I remember, you know, my uncle lives in Van Nuys out here, mm-hmm. um, and we'd come visit when I was younger, and I just kind of always had a dream of moving to Venice, and... Riding a bike on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very fun thing to do. That was it. And I, but I never really thought it was going to happen. But I did at some point start telling myself, you know what, man? We were coming out here so much to shoot. And every time we'd come out here, me and Mike, I was like, ah, this is, I think this will be cool. So I just kept telling myself if I ever get an opportunity to move out there, which is basically like if someone gives me a job in California, I'm probably just going to take it regardless mm-hmm. of what it is because it's a free trip.
0: So, And any one thing that helps move goods and stuff, it's a bonus, right? Yeah,
1: and they definitely didn't want to help too much. This really wasn't a very sweet deal. It was, you know, the money was not great. um, But I just kept thinking, L.A., opportunity, Mm -hmm. something new. um, Sunshine. You know, more performance cars, Mm -hmm. palm trees, yeah. So, you know, I tried my hardest. I bargained on the the offer. Nothing budged. That's Uh, why you needed Vinny. Yeah, I needed Vinny, <laughs> and and then I was like, you know, can you help me with the move? Nothing. We need an answer. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take it. So, at that time, I had sold. What did I have? I had a I had a Saab nine two X Arrow, which is a fantastic car. Fantastic car. I had the one Sabaru. Did you? Yeah, cold. Oh five or oh six? Oh five. Oh, you had the two liter, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. The oh six was the unicorn, which came with the two five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Man, that car! I flew to I flew to Ohio to buy that thing and drove it home. Um, I love that car; such a good, great car. And I used to just go autocross with it and destroy. It was the best. But then, I
0: mean, you don't see them out here in California that often. I never see them, I've and seen, I really I've seen two. Really? Yeah. I, I I've seriously seen two never of the, see them. the the arrows as opposed to the limited ones. I love them, just... man. I
1: still think they're super cool. And i yeah. you know, I wish I could go back in time and yell at myself or warn myself that I had I had some cool cars, but I never you know, and I'm I have sentimental attachments to things, but mm-hmm. I'm always thinking like, okay, what's next? And I sold so many cars that I think I would just die to have in my like fleet right now. And the Saab was one of them. Mm -hmm. I loved that car. It had, like, KW Club Sports, JDM STI Turbo, STI Brembo brakes. Like, it was fully set up. Mm -hmm. And then it was ultimate, like, snowboard machine. We would just take it up to Vermont, roof rack, everything. Perfect. It it was the best. Yeah. Um, But I sold that to buy my first dream car, which was a silver-gray metallic on black E46 M3. Mm -hmm. Because I said, you know what? I got a new job. i going yourself. to California. Yeah. Right? I deserve this somehow. So yeah. I found a meticulously maintained E46 uh, in Massachusetts. Flew there. Drove it home. Sold the Saab. And then Greg was like, look, we need you out here actually sooner than I thought. So my cross-country road trip was canceled. I put the BMW on a trailer. Yep. Sent it to California. Flew out here. and And that was that yeah seven almost seven years ago i think
0: living the dream ever since
1: yeah sure well, this, well, the, palm, the palm
0: tree dream anyway there's definitely palm trees here yeah, yeah. that much there's a few more palm trees here anyway <laughs> than in uh, connecticut just a little bit yeah so how did it go then with the european car magazine Um, You get off the plane and obviously you have to go from LAX to just have
1: you heard you straight to the office. I really did go straight to the office. I had maybe one day to like get my stuff together. And uh, I had the car delivered to like Brian. And I was living at Brian's house, I think, for a minute in Venice. Um, And then I got an apartment with a buddy of mine who actually was moving out here at the same time. Pretty close by. Got a garage spot. So all good. Which is the important thing. And then, I mean, seriously, day one driving the M3 along the coast by, like, Doc Weiler's Beach. That's how I'd go because it was in El Segundo. Um, just doing that with the windows down, I was like, okay, Lovely. you know what? I made it. Like, yeah. cue any kind of music. Mm-hmm. This is, this is like, the dream. But quickly I realized, um, you know, working over there, I came from Zero to Sixty where I think – all we wanted to do was break the rules and do things cooler and better and not review minivans and not do what the manufacturers wanted and not praise things that didn't deserve it you know so i had that kind of mentality and i really wanted to bring that to european car because i felt that it was really it was pretty snoozy Mm -hmm. and i knew greg loved cars but it needed a little bit of young blood and tenacity and some rule breaking i thought so I really was always trying for that. I mean, Greg and I really and you know, I, I love Greg so much and he's a buddy of mine for life now, but as coworkers and as him being my boss, it was bad. Like I I think at one point I had walked into his office and slammed his door just so I could yell cuz I was just getting so frustrated, you know, with what we'd have to put on the cover or what we'd have to say about these cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was it was so much fun and i got to go on some r- incredible incredible trips driving the new f-type in spain um, got sent to wales to drive the new like expensive retro for a river um, the press cars were awesome it was it was a total dream gig and it was a very very small staff so it was pretty malleable and i was able to make some changes for the better and argue my way into you know, trying to make the magazine as good as it could be within Mm -hmm. the constraints of that kind of system. Um, But the best thing really and the real reason I took the job was because there was no staff photographer. Uh, So I was the senior editor and lead photographer for the magazine. So that meant I was shooting every cover or assigning it um, and then, you know, shooting the big features and writing everything and editing everyone's stuff. And it was a ton of work but that is what brought me to, I think, my next level and both writing and shooting where i was really totally hands-on um... in a little bit of a different position and i think that completely sparked something new for me where i was like "Wow, i not only do i love photography but i just really i'm super drawn to this and i just i just want to keep progressing mm-hmm. and i was seeing so much good work in l.a that i was just i was just really motivated so I I knew definitely that this was a stepping stone of some kind. I was either going to, Greg would either leave at some point and go somewhere else and I'd become editor in chief, or I would just move on and do something else. But um, Source Interlink Media was a real, <laughs> it was a real shit show. Um, and you know, they've, they've done some rebranding, I think it's the Enthusiast Network now. Um, but they were great, you know, except for the time where everyone got these weird, cryptic, kind of ominous emails in the morning. And I'm like, oh, I think, I think I'm think i getting laid off today. And I, I really, at this point, I was, I think Mercedes had contacted me about shooting something. And I was getting these little things coming in that mm-hmm. I was like, oh, maybe I could go shoot other things and do these little freelance projects. I was kind of ready to leave because, yeah, we were losing staff and... Things were just not that fun anymore. And I just didn't care that much. I would come in at like 10 o'clock. It was just like, it was pretty chill. But um, with this email, I was like, okay, this is the day. I went in and I like put everything from my hard drive onto my own hard drive and all my images. And I kind of wiped out everything else. And they called me in for this meeting. And they said, Alex, would you mind taking a seat? I said, guys, are you laying me off today? He's like, well, you know, just sit down. I was like, look, it's Okay and they're like okay well yeah we're we're doing some layoffs i'm like no worries i'll get out of here and they're like okay and i'm like is there a severance package they're like well i'm like you know what no big deal i'm going to i'm going to head out so <clears throat> i was one i think of like 120 people that got laid off which is never nice insane yeah. bloodbath and yeah. i felt bad cuz a lot of people really were super invested in that and had families and you know yeah. it was it was a bad time I really didn't care about my situation Um, and it was all good I was actually kind of excited so so yeah that was kind of the start for me and I think I had to realize okay now what are we gonna do I I think I've been shown over the years that publishing is maybe not the most stable or lucrative area to be Mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that I love magazines and, and books and all of that and I think there will always be a place and I think we're in this little like renaissance and all the nice stuff will stick around or come back a little more more premium um, but I knew that the market I was in was not only super competitive but just it just didn't have that much of a future for me I felt yeah so it was kind of at that time that I'm like we gotta we gotta figure this out um, and I decided I'm gonna do something new so I just wanted to focus on shooting things that maybe could be on a billboard. I would see so many billboards and I would see all these advertisements. You see and billboards in Los Angeles? Everywhere, man. Oh, on the 405. Barely <laughs> And I would just, I just set my sights really, really high and said, okay, I don't want to shoot for aftermarket companies or magazines that much anymore. I want to try to shoot for the companies, for the OEM manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, and see if I can do that so I really started to do like crazy market research um on Instagram and online and seeing trends and thinking about maybe what I needed to become more viable for that market or accepted and I pretty much gave myself the goal that within a year of getting laid off I would find myself representation as an artist and build a portfolio and start shooting, you know, advertising, which which to me was like the tippy top. I was like that that's where I want to be. That's, that's the mountain. That's it. So so that's that's exactly what I did. I used my contacts um who worked for some of the OEMs and the fleet managers and I got press cars and I started shooting things a little differently and I'd book little gigs here and there with different manufacturers or social media stuff. I'd still do some magazine stuff to keep things going um Went down to Huntington Beach to work with a buddy of mine, uh, Batim, who runs BBI Autosport, mm-hmm. who also is very interesting and a really good dude. Um,
0: and a great guest the No Breaking
1: Podcast. Did he come on? Yes, oh, he he's the best. He is.
0: He's I, lo- I really love Batim. Yeah. Um, and we might even be doing something else. It's a super secret project at ooh, the moment. That's we can't very talk exciting. About it. Yeah. let all shout cool. to Dimitri as well for helping with that Dimitri's one. Dimitri's great, too. I know mm-hmm.
1: him. Um, so, yeah, I went down there and worked with Batim a little bit, and I really enjoyed kind of consulting and branding and building social presence and marketing and all that stuff, and I just was excited to help him out and join the team there for a little bit while I also figured out what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't an easy decision because I really completely fell in love with just working with Batim and being a part of BBI, um, but I still had that kind of burning thing that I just I just wanted to go shoot. Yeah, so... Eventually, uh, I started getting more work in and started reaching out to artist reps and met with a few of them. Had some offers and signed with one in New York called Anderson Hopkins. Um, and I've been with them for this is my fifth year. So, it, good then. It worked. Yeah. And so, <laughs> can what can you talk about some of the uh, the sure. OEMs that you've worked with
0: then over the time in those five years?
1: Yeah, um, I've shot. Global campaigns for Toyota, Audi,
0: Nissan. And so if we talk about... Can you explain a little bit for some of the listeners about what a global campaign is? Because I know obviously you did some work, say, on the new Toyota that they released. Yeah, the Supra. I don't know if you, know if you a little car. The yeah, it's the same. You know, can you explain a bit about that? How? What does it mean it's a global program or kind of the global images that you're doing?
1: How does yeah. that work? So basically, you know, and there's always there are different media uses for all the images that we see whether it's on Instagram or online or you see something on a broadcast commercial or Mm -hmm. on a billboard there is seriously a million different teams for each um and then different uses so some will just be national some will just even be on one side of the country or just a part of the world others will be global assets which literally will be used around the world for every market um so just different campaigns and then for as far as the super was concerned I mean that was a total dream <laughs> dream project um, and something I'd hoped that I would be able to shoot but I had no idea if it was gonna happen mm-hmm. and uh, I was contacted by you know so basically there are a lot there's a lot to this to try to explain um, but basically every automotive manufacturer for the most part has an advertising agency that they give their business to who is in charge of creating these assets, and then me as a freelance photographer um i'll get contacted by that agency if if maybe my work looks like kind of what's what's in the brief you know from the art director or the creative um, but the trickier part with that is it's kind of politics and standard practice to do what's called triple bidding, so even if your toyota or you're Saatchi, the agency, and you want me to shoot the Supra, I also know that you're going to contact two other photographers and their reps and Mm -hmm. get, you know, talk to them and figure out how they're going to shoot it and then get numbers from them on how much it's going to cost for their project. So it's a lot of wondering and guessing and nail-biting. Absolutely no stress involved what's going on. And it can really break you down. It's a lot. Um, And it has taken me... I'm finally in the groove of I'm totally okay when I don't land a job because I know it's not like a personal attack. Mm-hmm. This is just the nature of what we do. So you don't go spray paint those billboards when you see them afterwards? <laughs> not always. Not it depends always, who yes. shoots them. Okay. Um, but you really have to have a thick skin because this is, we're just being judged, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it definitely takes a toll on you, but when things come in and projects come around and you build your confidence and you just have this feeling that you know that you are the one who should shoot this job and you know this is perfect for you and you're gonna kill it um... I've just focused my energy on being positive about that stuff and honest with myself and uh... has worked out (laughs) better for me yeah I mean it looks like it I mean shooting the super would be pretty amazing I'd imagine it was a I I mean when they reached out to me about that project they it was all code names so You have to know, like, when these cars are coming out, even though we know something's going to happen, you know there's going to be the mid-engine Corvette, you know, like, these things are coming about, but when you're involved directly with it, it's... everything's a secret. There's Mm -hmm. code names. We have to hire multiple security teams. Um, These projects are called Code Red. And you laugh because it's like... You're like, guys, come on. Like, this... why? Why are we doing all this? But this is so serious to everyone especially something like the super which i mean they held that secret for a fairly long time which became a little painful i'm sure um but we had to give it a code name and almost not talk about it and even up until the very day where i was first shooting it i hadn't seen the car no one had seen it um we had guys with binoculars monitoring air traffic like literally just every measure that could be taken to protect the vehicle uh is taken. So taking all that and understanding that we're in Texas uh for the first shoot at a racetrack called the Driveway Austin which even most of my car friends no one has heard of this place.
0: You I, have I'm to, shaking my head.
1: It it is it's insane. Um it's a total secret yeah. and it doesn't sound like much cuz it's called the Driveway um Parts of it look like the ring. Parts of it are, like, designed after, like, the Ferrari testing track. Like mm-hmm. um, Fiorana. Yeah. The owner, Bill, used to race for, like, P3 and Ferrari. Just the coolest. It was the most insane situation. So you're saying I've got to go out there and you check it out You have to now. go. All right. You have to go. Excuse me. That's all right. So we show up to this place. I have no idea what to expect because... We didn't even really get him any scouting photos. Yeah, because when you hear, we're going to go shoot at the driveway, you're like, what, someone's house? Yeah, I was like, guys, this doesn't, you know, for super, I was thinking we should, like, go to the Alps, like, go do something epic. Um, And I didn't want to shoot at CODA because I didn't want something to be so recognizable. You know, I wanted this to feel pretty foreign and special. So, yeah, we're out there, and I'm like, this place is super overgrown. It reminded me of being in Riga, Latvia, Like, just, it had some kind of weird Eastern European, like, not cared for, but very fast and sketchy. Mm -hmm. Um, Incredible, incredible place. So, we had, I believe it was uh, an eight-day shoot, and no weather days, and weather days exist as insurance, um, and are smart to do when you're working in the middle of Austin during rain season. Mm -hmm. It was, like, October. Um, And the entire brief for that shoot was everything needed to look like sunset and sunrise and golden hour and tons of contrast and color really really moody and dramatic very fast and and just everything should be crazy Um, we had (laughs) we had three days of just downpour uh, which will really hurt a shoot Um, so
0: yeah in those situations it doesn't also help the stress either
1: I'm sure the stress yeah so you just have to think like all the things that drew me to photography which was creating images and looking at cars in a way that I like to and just wanting to create incredible stuff with sheet metal. Um, You take all of that in any moment where you've ever felt inspired or creative and now you bring 30 people you don't know onto set with you, Uh, weather issues, crazy timing. Every shot needs to be planned out. I have to know exactly what day we're doing what, at Mm -hmm. what time which way I'll be facing for the Sun everything is everything needs to be mechanical um, so finding a way to still <laughs> be creative and and perform uh, with all of that pressure took a really long time to to get used to you really have to just keep telling yourself like, do your thing do your thing because there are a bunch of people who want to interfere product people There's just so much going on. Um, So producing really captivating, cool stuff with that uh, is a really crazy, kind of fun challenge. Um, And then with a Supra, we just were all in love. I didn't want to like it because I knew it was a BMW. Um, And you know, that's everyone just keeps hating about that, but I didn't, you know, I wanted it to be more GTR fighting than maybe, you know, M2 fighting um so i just wanted more for it but i was obsessed with the way it looked the front was a little iffy but the rear was really cool the profile was cool the paint quality is insane the interior materials everything about it was cool and then you had this amazing location so so yeah we we shot the official launch imagery um for the supra it was all unveiled at the auto show and I mean, really, yeah, you can't ask for a crazier opportunity, at least in, on my side of the industry, you know, I'll, I'll go shoot an SUV and I'll do all these things, but shooting my bread and butter and being involved in an icon like that, um, pretty cool, pretty cool for me, yeah, and I like, I mean, I'm just so grateful, so uh, it was awesome. And now if we take a, a chat about the,
0: the directing that you're, trying to, that you're doing or that you're sort of merging into it, can you tell us a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah, I I mean, look, I've been around Motion for so long uh, and then I have so many friends, you know, at Hoonigan working on Jim Connor stuff mm-hmm. and just really friends everywhere doing this stuff and I've been around it for so long that I think I've been subconsciously taking notes. Um, and, you know, we're in a funny place in the industry where, again, it's, it comes down to money. And a lot of these brands and agencies have a desire for a ton of content. So they're going to want 30 images. They're going to want the brochure. They're going to want the billboard. But then they also want some, like, small vignettes and little videos or teaser videos or something for social. Um, so maybe not a full broadcast spot. But for that, they're not going to go out and hire some huge name director and DP to fly in on a helicopter and mm-hmm. bring in a massive team and shell out a million to do that. The um, so they're they really won't, they won't get Michael Bay in. Yeah, not happening. Doesn't matter how much lens flare you have. So, um, so they're really starting to look to the photographer to direct. You know, no one's going to be surprised that I'm not going to show up and operate the camera. But taking everything I know and that other photographers do and putting it into motion and factoring in light and composition it's really not much more to it so there were a lot of small little things I had done that were always feeling like quite secondary to me to the images mm-hmm. and I was like you know what I wanna I wanna make something sick that is like completely everything that I love which is really it always comes down to performance and energy Um so that's that's really what I'm focusing on now cuz I love shooting stills I'll always love shooting stills but I really want to put things into into movement and shoot commercials and shoot videos Um so I've been working with Will a lot and we actually just shot a thirty-second commercial for the next round of Super Images you guys will see soon um, which was incredible we had three days with a X five M camera car from Pursuit Systems. Um was that the one with the at the what the hot dog
0: mobile? Whatever, the winner is. it? No, that was something else. Okay. Yeah.
1: This was um we had some really cool drivers. We had Reese Millen and Matt Powers come out, mm-hmm. um full story, everything and we shot a thirty second spot that uh was pretty it came out pretty cool. Yeah. So that'll come out soon and I just realized that if I'm gonna be kind of in the running for some of these things kind of the same way that I got into stills I just wanted to have stuff to show to show that I wasn't just doing these five-second clips with very little thought put in Mm -hmm. I just wanna kinda fast forward and shoot the big stuff so uh, a couple years ago I produced a job on my own with a Cadillac CTSV did like another 30-second spot like that and I'm just now really focused on building a reel Um, so I can mix it up a little bit
0: nice and then obviously you've had a, as you've mentioned you've had a selection of cars that you've owned in your time and you have some that you've regretted so se- will look back on now and say I wish I'd kept them. What are some of the other ones that you'd say that you wish you would have kept in your time?
1: So yeah definitely miss the Saab. Uh I miss my... I really miss all of them man. I do. I I had um, I had a 2002 Volkswagen GTI 337 edition. Mm-hmm. I put a Quaif limited slip in there and a huge turbo and a built motor that car was a riot and there weren't many crazy fast turbo street cars at that time so my car was making i think 400 wheel horsepower I had like a Garrett GT3071R oh. on there and you know it was like 911 turbo fast at that time yeah so i missed that a lot i also had a Volkswagen R32 with the VR6 which classic love that um and wish i kept it and i had an Evo 9 MR that i can't i can't forget like i don't think anything to this day still nothing feels like that okay the evo 7 through 9 uh they're just the sickest cars they're incredible and they had nice seats nice seats and the 9 especially the 9mr was cool because it had a six-speed <clears throat> aluminum fenders aluminum roof it was it was awesome yeah and then,
0: what about when you're doing your stuff? I should say on the weekends, <laughs> or is what stopped us from doing our first uh, podcast? Will be your track days. Yeah. So, how <laughs> is that competitive streak going with you then?
1: Um, I mean, look, I I go through months where I'm working like crazy, and then I have some time off. Uh, and like we were talking about a little earlier, like I need to stay focused and have things to do during that time, whether mm-hmm. it's working on my own stuff. Um, but I have, you know, since day one. Since the GoPed, like I just love working on cars and making things fast. Your cars. Your <coughs> cars, let's say. my what, cars, yeah. yeah. And I like helping or out may- friends. Maybe friends, but not someone else who you don't know who's gonna drive their car at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm addicted to that stuff. It's a huge obsession. Um and I overbuild everything and ruin all my cars. That's kinda of why I end up selling them. I don't tell that part of the story. But um I just go way too nuts. But what I realized, you know, I'm working at European car, I had I had that E forty six M three I had it supercharged. That wasn't enough. I pulled that off. I put a single turbo on it. A car made 640 horsepower to the wheels. It was completely unusable. <laughs> um, but it had all these really nice parts, and I I was going to track events and shooting and the European Car Grand Prix, which we held, and I'm like, why aren't I driving, and why aren't I ever using these cars that I'm building for a purpose, but I really I was just getting into trouble on in the street and mm-hmm. doing stupid things. So over the last couple of years, I'm like, it's time to, to go drive. So I just started kind of joining track events and teaming up with um, Speed Ventures and Speed District and all these organizations. There's so many track organizations yeah, which is out here. Yeah, fantastic now. And I'm like, I live in the Mecca for this. We have so many tracks out here. Mm-hmm. So I which started your, getting into which that. Which your favorite track to, to drive out here? I mean, Laguna Seca is far, but it is my, one, it's my all-time favorite track. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got that draw the local the local track is button willow mm-hmm. um and i love button willow cuz i fucking hate button willow it's <laughs> it's a really challenging track to drive and it it kind of shows all of your weaknesses and all of your flaws um and if you just mess up your flow on that track it's just it's kind of become it's time attack central uh that's really what brought me into time attack and mm-hmm. You know, Vinny and I had run some global time attack events out there, and we really showed up for like a pro day one time, had no idea what we were doing. But I was like, this is so crazy to put that much pressure on you to literally just go out and run your single absolute fastest lap. Um, in a class, you know, with other cars that are similarly classed. Yeah.
0: So, so what and what's a t- kind of with the global time attack? They give you a time frame of, was it what, like 15 minutes or something
1: to go out and do three laps to yeah. set your. So, it kind of runs like a regular track day. Mm-hmm. Overall, you get a little less track time because there's more people and more competition. But you get gridded and sent out based on your lap time. So, you know, if there's 60 people and the times range from two minutes, 20 seconds to. a minute forty, a minute forty-five seconds, whatever, um, you know, you're going to be gridded in that order regardless of what your class is. So we get gridded in a way that you're not out there trying to pass everyone. Um, The goal really is to have a clean lap, so they'll send us out maybe fifteen seconds apart, and you're out there for fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, trying to run your best lap. Um, And then there's techniques and ways to do that, usually it happens in the beginning, you know, a lot of the cars, your tires get hot, your engine gets hot. You get tired, so you go out for an outlap, you get heat into your tires, you run a hot lap, maybe two, maybe three if you're lucky, and then you gotta cool down, or a lot of the really competitive guys will literally go out there and run one to two laps max and then they're in because the temps are out of control. Um, but I loved that because I was building a you know, I'm building this one series right now. Um and I didn't really have a desire to go wheel to wheel and start doing like NASA stuff and mm-hmm. Bashing doors off my car. Like, I wanted to keep it nice. So, I like the idea that I'm not racing for position. And I just like the idea that you're literally racing for tenths of a second. Um, And it it forces you to focus on things that you don't really think about on a regular track day. So, you're just looking at every turn, every breaking point, and just trying to put together the perfect lap. Uh, And at a track like Buttonwillow, and also, I mean, I'm not an expert driver. Like, I love driving, and I think. I am pretty good for how little seat time I've had but I have so much to improve on. Um, So probably it's not the most conducive way for me to get better is to put myself in these crazy pressure situations to perform uh, when really the most important thing is seat time. So I've been mixing it up a little bit, trying to get a lot of seat time, learning about setting up a proper race car and what that means and how to start with a good platform which is probably not a BMW E eighty two one thirty five I. Yeah. Um but it's been really cool for me to just completely nerd out with this stuff and not be so concerned with making seven hundred horsepower. I still have a really stupid side of me that like I want a dumb fast car and it's kind of fun to fight that on the track. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's not always dumb and fast. Those are the fastest laps sometimes. So, So yeah, I'm still having I'm having a lot of fun with that, but learning about how to make a car grip And handle and what you do when your car only understeers or just all of it uh, has been really interesting for me and in kind of a homebrew way I mean a lot of these guys have big race teams but wrenching on stuff and having the confidence to now like now I feel like I could go back and be a better mechanic Um, and because of hanging out with my buddy Vinny and then working at shops like EAS and Anaheim, these guys I've known for so long they're like dude you can use the shop you know if you have problems just yell but um... because when you have to work on your car this much there's no way it would take a lot to afford to just take it to a shop every time and have them do it
0: yeah it's kind of expensive shop
1: time yeah so so this is my hobby is now totally i love racing uh... i love building Car set up for that, and kind of threading the needle needle on you know what's streetable and what I can do out on the track. Um, and all I want is a huge garage because I want to go drift and I want to do a bunch of is things. Is Vinny pushing in that direction? Vinny and Will pushing in those directions? Though? Yeah, I mean it's not easy it's when no you have pressure. friends who have so many cars and are such good drivers. Um, we all kind of push each other, I think, to do different things to keep to be irresponsible up. in a because you realize way. you know at some point if I'm like I'm going to move to the forest in Denver or somewhere in the mountains, you know, without without everyone around you building these things, I probably wouldn't be that drawn to it. But it is such a huge community push out here and I mean, knowing that you can just go to a track and be there in an hour, two hours is is awesome for me. Yeah. And especially when you got people like Vinny that can help you out with deals. Yeah, that works too. I mean, um I that that bug I caught really early, even at zero to sixty, just starting to find out that I could I could offer my, you know, services to companies that I wanted to get parts from, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I'll shoot this, I'll write about it, we'll review it, I'll help you guys out, you help me, um, and so. if you send me five and then we'll <clears before throat> come back, just realize that <laughs> no worries. So yeah, I mean, I've I've built a lot of cars with some amazing partners, and I mean, I owe those people so much. So uh, it's an awesome way to do it. And I'm sure it won't last forever, but I have I've been around in the industry for a long time. That I do have some companies and friends that yeah, I've worked nice with for so long that. that they know that it's not, I'm not a stranger, you know. Yeah. Um. And I am happy to go shoot stuff and represent. Um. And now I'm trying to be way more competitive in time attack. So it's cool to have have partners like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, when you've got friends that do
0: similar things as you do with the driving for example it's always nice to be able to beat them yes and have your name <laughs> go above them and uh or with a lowered lap time as much as say. you
1: try to tell yourself you don't care
0: it's no it's i'm only competing with myself but as long as i beat all my friends i'm totally fine with that <laughs> exactly um so alex so if people are wanting to try and find more details and mm-hmm. you or follow you online or your stories or whatnot where's the best place they can track you down you down
1: uh i'm definitely on instagram mm-hmm. uh you can find me there it's B-E-R-N-O-O-O. Uh, you know, people used to call me Bruno, Um, And I mean, I guess they still do. That name was taken on Instagram. So I, I chose, I was like, we'll just do Berno. But for whatever reason, I moved to California and everyone here calls me Bernou. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, that's just not how I expected it to be pronounced. So yeah, find me there on Instagram. Uh, I have my portfolio up on my site, alexbernsteinphoto.com. Um. Yeah, I'm around, man. If anyone wants the bullshit about cars or cameras.
0: Look, I'm enjoying it. It's an awesome. important thing. But uh, <clears throat> Alex, thank you so much for being a guest. Also want to thank all the listeners. And as always, we'd like to get a positive review from you, uh, as I mentioned before. It's out of 5 out of 10 on iTunes, but uh, think of it as out of 10. So if it's a great, just give 10. Uh, you can't do it. Round down to 5. Oh, it's not such a great podcast. Only give it a five. Well, just leave it at five. That's the best way to do it. Just think of it like that. Nice and simple. You can also find us at Instagram, no breaking, N-O-B-R-A-K-I-N-G on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to have any questions or looking for guests, just let us know. Send us a message. We can get on the way. Until then, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.